Welcome to Building LA, a podcast about the buildings and projects shaping the future of Los Angeles, hosted by me, Sam Pepper. I'm a licensed architect, developer, and project manager specializing in large, complex projects. And as you can probably tell, I'm not a lifelong Angelino. Each episode features conversations with the industry leaders driving those projects forward. We discuss what inspires them, reveal the untold stories behind these impactful projects, and talk candidly about the challenges and opportunities facing the design, architecture, and real estate industry in Los Angeles. Please subscribe to Building LA on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. And if you have a few seconds, please rate the show. We really appreciate it, and we'd love to hear from you. Now, on to the episode. In this episode, we're talking to Kathy Johnson, a founding partner at the architecture firm Design Bitches, and her client, David Kuo, the chef, restaurateur, and owner of the Fatty Corporation, which currently includes the restaurant Little Fatty, the Accomplice Bar, and the recently opened Fatty Barn, all in Mar Vista. If you haven't been to one of David's places, I highly recommend it. Not only are the food and drinks fantastic, he and Kathy have done a wonderful job of creating just a great vibe. It's both a local hangout and a reason to drive to the west side. In our conversation, you'll learn why David and Kathy's decade-long working relationship has been so successful, what it's really like to start a restaurant and an architecture firm, the challenges of running a small business in LA, and what David is cooking up next. Please note that there is some background noise in this recording, which my audio engineers are quite mystified about, but it's mild and we'll make sure to avoid it in the next episode. This is episode 10 of the Building LA podcast and the last one to be released in 2023. Thank you so much to everyone who has been brave enough to join the show and to all those who have tuned in. I'm very excited for what's to come in 2024. We have some incredible guests already lined up. Thanks again. Hi, Kathy. Hi, David. Welcome to Building LA. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. David, we're going to start with you. What is Fatty Mart? Uh, Fatty Mart's a neighborhood market. We have a lot of pre-made food, so it takes a lot of uh, stress out of your life. You can get pre-made meals for you and your family. And you can also order off our uh, pizza menu, our sandwich menu, our cafe menu. Fantastic. And Kathy, what is Design Bitches? Uh, Design Bitches really is an architecture practice. We pair with unique clients and we're equal parts creative risk takers and optimistic pragmatists. So we've been building in LA and across the country for the last 10 years. Okay. So if anyone listening closely, you both have fairly distinctive names for your companies. So Kathy, we'll start with you. How did you come up with the name Design Pitches? The short story is it was a response to the AIA Los Angeles, what architecture is fill in the blank. Back, Mm -hmm. you know, in 2010, they were looking for young architects to sort of establish what their practice was about. And our response was architecture is design, comma, bitches. Really, the idea behind it is that we take our work seriously, but not ourselves so seriously in the context of the architectural practice. I I love it. I remember when when your company first kind of popped up on the scene years ago, 
and uh, it created quite a bit of buzz and I think there was a lot of enthusiasm around the name. So I appreciate it. And David? Fatty Mart and the Fatty Corporation. How did you come up with that name? Yeah, so our flagship restaurant's called Little Fatty and it's named after my childhood nickname. I grew up with uh, three older brothers and so my mom would cook a lot of food and you had to eat fast because they were teenagers and I was still a kid. And I grew to love food and um, my nickname was Xiaopang, which means Little Fatty. So Little Fatty is a Taiwanese restaurant? Yeah. What would you say, I am a relative newcomer to LA. Uh -huh. I moved here about five years ago. What is the best neighborhood in LA for Taiwanese food? <laughs> it would have to be like San Gabriel Valley. That's where all the good Asian food is. But uh, more and more people are moving out into different areas. There's Pine and Crane. There's um, a new Lou's Cafe in Koreatown that's pretty popular. Uh, so it's growing. There's some stuff in Orange County too. And if I'm someone who is new to the cuisine, what would be one dish that you would recommend you eat if you are diving into Taiwanese food for the first time? <laughs> well, um, there's, there's a couple. The national dishes, uh, long considered the, the beef noodle soup, uh, but low row fun. People eat it uh, every day. It's like minced pork over rice, and then sometimes uh, pork chop rice is kind of like a national dish too. Okay. So warning to all listeners, you will get hungry during this episode. <laughs> so you're both entrepreneurs who have created successful businesses in different fields. Kathy, we'll start with you. What, what motivated you to start at your own company? I think ultimately it was, you know, after spending over a decade working for other people and learning a lot of different things, I really wanted to create a different type of practice. So we really wanted to look at how architecture can be more accessible to a broader audience and mm -hmm. also explore certain things that we were interested in, like the integration of branding and sort of the overall experience of architecture mm -hmm. as a human being, which ties into something I've been interested in all along. You mm -hmm. know, it's like the human relationship to the built environment and how you can actually make people's, you know, daily lives better through buildings. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a primary driver. And it also was on the heels of the recession in 2008. So really looking to just find ways to be excited about architecture in general. Right. I think a lot of, a lot of people who graduated around that time mm -hmm. started interesting companies because they were, no one was hiring. And as a result, a lot of great firms came out of the 2008 recession. Yeah. And David, you, know, you started a company. What was the motivation for you as well to go out on your own? I was a property manager actually, and one of the properties had a restaurant on it and uh, I would moonlight and cut vegetables and cook things. And then um, after a while, I decided to get serious. I went to cooking school. I've always loved food. And so after cooking school, we went to New York and uh, worked at three Michelin star restaurant, came back, uh, saved some money and opened the restaurant. <laughs> Sounds simple when you put it like that. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. So the first business that you opened was that Little Fatty or was that something else? Yeah, it was called Status Quo. And Status Quo, actually okay. this is, uh, I've known Kathy for at least 10 years now, right? Yeah. Um, so she was actually working for a different architecture firm before she started hers. So we started talking then. And then when I found a space, uh, we teamed up and opened Status Quo. And um, two years later we opened, uh, well, I always had the right to expand. And so it was 1,000 feet, and then we expanded to 2,000 feet. And in that, we built a bar. And again, Kathy did uh, all the work for that. And then three years later, we expanded another 1,000 feet. So now it's 3,000 total feet that Kathy and I worked on. 
And Kathy, you were working for Barbara Bester at that time? But that was before. Before. All yeah. of this yeah. was after we had started yeah. DB. Okay. But yeah, we, okay. we had met through actually a friend of mine from architecture school introduced us while I was still working at Bester. And then after leaving Bester, mm-hmm. David and I teamed up to do Okay. All these little little expansions <laughs> of the, the little restaurant. We've sort of grown our businesses together, actually, you know, like si- simultaneously side by side. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So your first business, David, status quo. Now, is that is that restaurant still in operation? No, it used to be like a rotisserie shop, new American food. And then when we opened the bar, we decided to do Chinese Taiwanese food. Okay. Um, yeah. And so since then, it's been, been a hit and taken off. So I'm assuming there are... Things you learned from that business and then you've applied to subsequent businesses. <laughs> yeah, we're still learning today. Yeah. Every day is a learning curve, uh, school of hard knocks. Uh, but yeah, it's been a fun ride. And, you know, now Fatty Mart, it's a, a, a big, big project, but it's been fun and it's uh, still evolving. Yeah. Perfect. Kathy, so I'm curious about your kind of background in architecture. You went to the University of Oregon and then SciArg. Can you just describe kind of the differences between those two programs? Because on the surface of it, they feel very different. They were then and are still very different. Yeah. I studied interior architecture at the University of Oregon, okay. which has a really great program that I'm now on an advisory, academic advisory council for. The beauty of it, I think, at the time and still is it's really deeply ingrained in the architecture program. So I took a lot of architecture studios in the interior architecture program, but I got a lot of detailing, you know, and thinking about the insides of spaces there that I would not have had in a regular architecture program. Uh, it was at the time I was in school without dating myself too much. There was an old school, new school pedagogy a bit, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the art of the hand drawing versus digital drawing. And kind of when those things were coming together, even though people were already working, uh, digitally professionally in academia, mm-hmm. it was still a lot of mix. SciArc, I would say, I mean, SciArc is and was sort of revolutionary in its like inception and is an incredibly creative environment. I also went to SciArc at a time of transition when we moved downtown. So I was one of the first classes in the building downtown. Oh, interesting. And it, we were kind of out there by ourselves in now. I think I feel so lucky that I was there at that time because downtown, the arts district, it was like us. It was a little bit Mad Max. I'm sure. Down <laughs> there, us out there. And we could build things, you know, out in the dirt lots outside of the school. And like, it was very free to kind of build, but it had that sort of, it had that maker energy, sure. which it still does. So both digitally and physically, like we were just making stuff all the time. The Sciarc building is an amazing building, the Arts District. Did yeah. it feel just like one long workshop of creativity at that time? Particularly yeah. in those early days, I would imagine before they really maybe matured the building. Yeah, sure. I mean, when I started, the building was only halfway open. And then they, when we opened the whole building at that time, the student body was maybe about 500. So mm-hmm. people were commonly skateboarding, roller skating, riding a bike through the school, like on the inside, oh, because wow. there was just space and and it's a quarter mile long. So if you needed to get to the library quickly, you put some wheels on, and which was also fun. Okay. So your first project as Design Bitches, was, was that the answer to the competition then? Did that become the first project? That was more of a portfolio because there's a little bit of a manifesto involved. And okay. so some of the work that we included was work we had either done 
individually or we created specifically for that competition. And the only thing that came out of it that was a real project was a mural that we did. But Hmm. we actually did. There was a time when Bester Architecture was in a smaller building on Fountain Avenue. And they would sometimes have big murals along the front. So we ended up doing an installation of our mural on the front there. So that's one project from there that came to reality. But the rest of it, some of them were really ludicrously fictitious purposefully (laughs) to be, uh, you know, a little tongue in cheek. Of course. And your partner is Rebecca Rudolph. Yeah. How did you develop that? I guess, what is the secret to a successful business partnership? From the outside, it feels like a successful business partnership. First and foremost, I think we're both believers that more brains are better than working in -hmm. solitude. Mm -hmm. And I have always felt that way. Like whether you're collaborating with your clients Mm -hmm. or other makers or artists or, you know, the people that you work with, because because those people, you know, I oftentimes am surprised how you'll be stuck somewhere and someone will see something so clearly that you've been staring at forever. So respecting that. But then also I think it's really just about openness and like understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses and kind of knowing how that ebb and flow happens and just it's respect and like trust in that partnership, which I think expands also to, you know, the other people you work with, like your clients and knowing, you know, when to step up and knowing that they will also step up for you Mm. when you need. So it's a good balance. And David, what were you looking for in an architect when you met Kathy and, and started working with her? Um, I had no idea what I was looking for. <laughs> Someone that could work on budget. Um, but, you know, after talking with her, we, you know, just like she just explained the philosophy of her uh, company, we're kind of like the same way. And mm-hmm. so we got along from the very beginning. It helped that we had a mutual friend and um, really took off from the beginning. And we've been working ever since. And I'd probably use her on every project. It was up to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, moving forward, I think we kind of uh, built like a, seamless way of collaborating to bring a space to life she kind of gets what i'm trying to do and you know i let her be i don't micromanage i just let her do her job and then we see what happens and just usually what exactly what i wanted in my head yeah at this point you've obviously built a good amount of trust i would imagine yeah having done projects together over now a decade but at the beginning, did you have to get through any kind of kinks between the, I mean, often I feel like in any client relationship, there are some bumps in the road, but you learn what they are and then you move on and it's much nicer to know, okay, we worked out all the kinks, we can move forward now. Were there anything? I, know, I think the, the biggest, I mean, there was no kinks. The only kink I needed to learn was all the codes and all the rules and you right. can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the only hiccups that cost uh, time or money. Yeah. Uh, besides that, working with her was uh, great and it's always seamless. Yeah. yeah, I would say that's one of the things I appreciate most about David is from the get-go, I think he had a lot of trust that we would that we were listening to, you know, what he wanted and that our goals were to try to, like, you know, help him achieve things he couldn't imagine on his own. And he was so open to it all from the very beginning. Like, there, I can't even think of. It's only been like more operational, you know, like things change as you go through the process. Uh, And so having to like be able to ride that wave and ride the wave of changes or like code requirements or coming up with those sorts of things, those are the challenges, but we always face them together. And I think we're both problem solvers by nature. So when they come up, it's kind of, it's less about 
whose fault it is. It's more about, well, how, what are we going to do? Like, what's the plan? Mm -hmm. How do we shift from here? And I think that also really helps just knowing. So we're keeping, just keep moving forward. I'm curious. So I think the creation of a restaurant has been popularized the past couple of years with the television show, The Bear. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a particular moment in the show where they're trying to get fire suppression approval and it's a it becomes this dramatic thing and i think any architect or anyone working in that field is like yes absolutely it is that difficult (laughs) is there anything about that show and the stress of it that is accurate when you are i'm assuming developing a restaurant is a stressful process yeah it's pretty accurate maybe i mean the first season was about sandwiches um Mm -hmm. but it was more about the dynamics about the people Mm -hmm. that was really accurate but you're not i don't think you're calling out tickets for sandwiches (laughs) 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 or opening a sandwich shop at four o'clock uh or maybe i'm wrong yeah but yeah it's a great show the last season was great and um it kind of goes to everything that i try to teach my cooks is like some little thing can mess you up mm. if you don't take care of it and that's you know everything matters every every second counts every inch counts every dish counts and uh i think that that show did a great job of uh, illustrating that how we got locked in the thing or um mm. locked in the well we, are we doing spoilers um he got locked in the walk-in <laughs> because he like failed to call somebody because it was so minor that he thought you know he would get to it or someone would get to it and then like finally passing the test you know, we all know that feeling of opening a restaurant. So, um, yeah, it's pretty accurate, I think. Okay. David, I'm curious. So, you, can you just run through all the businesses you've started? Because you, <laughs> you appear like a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, my wife tells me I should stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, 2012, 13, we started working together because we found the space. And it took like a year to build because I didn't know what I was doing. And then we opened and then we always had the right to open next door because uh, we have a great landlord who's the same landlord as uh, fatty mart and so they've always um, taken care of us you know as we take care of their building and so we opened with a bar two years later and then three years later 2018 we finished the third room uh, which that was like the first time we both had a budget that we could actually do something that you know we're really really proud of uh, i think there's a mural by josh cochran um, he's kind of he's written He's illustrated three kids' books now. And actually, the Keith Haring one was pretty impressive because like, that's like drawing for your idol <laughs> or like making a book. His mural is in? In both. Fa- yeah, Fanny Mod as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he did some branding uh, that we, we kind of used and were waiting to use. So the main question is, you know, by, the, by now, it's like, oh, we've somehow magically created something. But looking back, it's really hard to bring a space alive and like, oh, I want to open a restaurant, but what's the vibe and what is what, I mean, it's really hard to describe what a vibe is, but a vibe is like what I just said is like everything from the plates, from the people to the, how you present a check to, you know, it's everything, the music, where things are, but everything is, has to be thought of, but you try to do as much as you can. And so that's why we added a mural. That's why, you know, we work with Kathy and, you know, that's why we put sound dampening things on that cost more money. But then you end up with this thing that's alive and always changing. Like, uh, I think we talked about, we changed the lights recently. Um, but yeah, it's always changing and it's breathing and it's really hard to create something. So, you know, I think we did a good job. And I think we did the same thing with Fatty Mart and um, it really came alive. How do you bring a market to life? And it feels like a space that's inviting and fun and all the murals and stuff uh, really bring it to life. And it's a place that you want to hang out or, you know, meet up for a coffee or eat breakfast and just forget about your problems for two hours. I mean, I don't live in and around Mar Vista, but I've been, been a fan of about three times now. 
twice by myself and once with someone else. And I would agree there is an energy there that is hard to design, but part of the reason it works is that some front porch area, uh-huh. probably another name for it. Mm-hmm. But that creates this fantastic, almost patio atmosphere that takes you from the street, creates a nice buffer. It's full of activity. As you're walking down the street, the one thing that LA is really lacking is street activity. Uh-huh. And you cannot help but walk past and notice Fatty Mart, even if you are not paying attention. Whereas in LA, I think you can walk past a lot of restaurants uh-huh. and not know there's a restaurant there. And so that's a really kind of clever piece of design. And the Josh Cochran mural just really captures your eye and then the red paint. And we'll, we'll get into all those details uh, a little bit later. I'm, I'm curious, David, I'm picturing you as a, and you can correct me, but I'm picturing you as a, as a restless individual who has a million ideas in your head <laughs> at, at, all, at all times. Yeah. What are other hospitality concepts that you have in your head or, or in, in the planning, which you can obviously talk about? Well, uh, we were going to open a Thai diner with live music next door, but we, we were about to submit plans to the city. <laughs> and then we just said, oh, let's wait till the market opens and just see what, um, what support we, we can use this space for. Um, we still might do it, but it looks like both the market and Little Fatty are just so busy that we need the space for just support. Hmm. Um, oh, so it's an existing space that you actually Yeah, so have. it's a record shop and a tattoo shop in between. Oh, wow. uh, uh, the two spaces, so it's another twenty eight hundred square feet, and we spent a year and a lot of money developing this awesome, this awesome space. Uh, but it didn't, didn't. I mean, we have to wait and see. But we might one day open it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. And then we're working on something downtown, and it was out of my hands because I have a business partner, and he always works with a certain firm. Otherwise, I would have hired Kathy. But that's an ambitious project, and um, on the border of Boyle Heights and Chinatown. And it's eight, ten thousand feet big, seven thousand foot building. It's going to have eighteen hundred square foot uh, bodega market, sort of like a mini fatty mart with uh, like regular coffee and and a lot of services for the neighborhood. It's near low income housing. It's near expensive housing. So it's like a great crisscross of the, the population of LA. But it's on the border of Chinatown and Boyle Heights. And my business partner is um, Peruvian. I'm you know Asian. So it's kind of like a, a, mm. a joint thing. It's going to have um, a takeout window for the neighborhood. Uh, mm. So it's going to be like you know seven dollar breakfast burritos, eight dollar burger, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I, growing up, I always liked those uh, little diners, like Jim's Number Ten or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so you get you can get pastrami, you can get a, a fried chicken dinner, you can get breakfast burrito, you you know that kind of stuff. You know, of course, pancakes and stuff. So it'll be a variation of that. You know, through my own lens, I guess. And that's going to be like the takeout window. And then like uh, the main frontage is going to be, I mean, this is going to sound crazy. It's going to be a cevicheria sushi kind of like, uh, oh, wow. but everything's going to be Latin. So this whole restaurant's going to be Latin. Okay. Um, so it's a bit of a departure. Yeah. But using Latin and Asian ingredients uh, wisely, it's not going to be like fusion or anything like that. And then, so there's a yeah, ceviche, raw bar, sushi. And then uh, there's a 60 seat inside, I say, and 20 seat outside bar. Outside, right now I, I say outside because outside is a parking lot, but we're going to enclose six or, or enclose 2,000 feet of it. Simple structure because we're going to do Korean barbecue service, but it's going to be Latin style uh, with oh, all wow. Latin ingredients. So it's kind of crazy. So when you sit down, there'll be panchan. There's going to be like carts. It's going to be like, what sauces do you want? The next card is what tortillas do you want? Or I mean, 
And the main card is like, what meats do you want to put on your grill? And then after that, there's another card where it's like all cooked food. And like, you know, because you're grilling, but oh, I want yeah. a tamale or I want a you know, some video or whatever. And then the last card would be a churro card that you make Sundays out of. This is all in my mind, of course. <laughs> but but it is does that sound cool? It, it does sound cool. And so I, it's like Korean, like it's like a what I really want to do is bring some light to the city of LA, but also showcase all the great stuff of LA. So I think this next project is that. We'll have a store that represents, you know, everything from Asian to Middle Eastern to Latin. And so some of the food will be like that. But then, you know, we have a cool takeout window that's like tacos, burritos, burgers. And then we have an awesome seafood bar. And then, you know, obviously, you know, we're known for cocktails. We're top 50 or top 10, sorry, restaurant bar named by Tales of the Cocktail. I don't know what that means. But um, we keep winning awards. Our bartenders are uh, pretty high up there. So we take our drinks seriously. But the Korean barbecue part will be super fun, um, I think. Is crafting the menu and the experience the part that you enjoy the most? Oh, I don't, I mean, it's very, very painful right now. <laughs> I don't know why I do it to myself. When you're talking, it's like hard to, like your excitement about it is contagious. So obviously opening a restaurant is incredibly difficult, but what is the part that you enjoy the most? What is the part that you're addicted to? I think, I think all of it. It's like the, right now it's an idea, but we bring that idea to life. And mm -hmm. once it opens, you realize you built your own prison. And now you have to build, work your way out because <laughs> you're there all the time and you thought it was a great idea, but now you got to make it happen. That's what I'm going through with the market right now. So the market is like 10% of what we want to do. I think we're going to do like a big grand reopening. We finally, I mean, I, I always forget that uh, it's the staff. Uh, like I can make all the great food I want, but how do you scale it? How do you teach it? And right now it's really hard to hire people for the restaurant industry, but luckily we have a good team right now. So we're going to be rolling out some a lot more grab-and-go stuff. There was tons of logistics stuff that happened that was totally out of control. We wanted custom refrigeration, but uh, they tend to break a lot because there's no cover, there's no door. Mm -hmm. And then we called them like eight times and they said, this is the last time we're coming. You got to figure it out on your own. We're like, okay, cool. So then we couldn't put stuff in there. And people were like, why is that empty? It was like, oh, because... You know, it's broken. And then like the freezer was leaking. It took six months or three months to find the part and replace it. So like now everything is functioning, working. So now we can start putting stuff in there and moving some stuff back into the refrigerator. But also, yeah, there's a lot of logistics and a lot of things out of our hands. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went through a period where I was like a little down on myself because I didn't deliver what I, I promised online. <laughs> but now, now we're gonna we're working on bringing all those great things, and, and I think the food is really great right now. The pizza is awesome, and we're about to do like a whole line of pasta that's like both like not just Italian, but it'll be using some Asian ingredients, but um, treading the line really carefully, <laughs> respecting both. That's what that's what I like to do. It's like oh, now the world of cooking is a little different now because there's authentic, but then. Why stick to authentic? Why not make it better? Because we know we have ingredients from around the world that make things taste better, but not usually used. But it doesn't mean that it's not authentic because it has even more flavor. Kathy, you have a two-parter question for you. Yeah. One is, why do you enjoy, you've worked on a lot of hospitality projects. Yeah. I'm curious what you like about that the most. And the second part is, what's your favorite thing that they sell at Fatty Mart? Ah. Yeah, okay, we'll work up to that because there's too many to pick a favorite. I think in general, I love working on hospitality and food projects because 
it gave us it gave us our great a great start number one like our, the first projects we ever did were food and hospitality projects and I quickly learned as a as an architect with a small practice and a really young firm it, not only were we able to be a little bit more free I think there's a lot of creative freedom in that world and it's also a great place to test architectural ideas in a way that you may not be able to do in other spaces and you're also working with like creative people like chefs and other there's it's an interesting collaboration i think and it's also a place that people can experience it's a public space it's like a it's an example of a smallish potentially public space that people can go to and it really worked as sort of a billboard like when we did superba food and bread in venice almost a decade ago now it was like a billboard for our practice really and yeah. we got you know residential clients out of that project and in addition to food and hospitality projects but i also just really love creating places for people to be mm-hmm. like and want to integrate into their everyday life like mm-hmm. that to me is a really important part of architecture like doing well like focusing on the neighborhood what that specific place wants and needs as it changes and evolves mm-hmm. and celebrate maybe some of the things that no one really knew were exciting about that neighborhood that maybe have always been there like an undercurrent and kind of bring it shine a little flashlight on it and i think that food and hospitality allow you to do that in ways that other project types don't all right we'll come back to the part two of the question because i, I want to ask you a little bit about that so yeah. you said that you like creating the kind of the public component of it, the fact that it's enjoyed by a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. LA strikes me as a place where there aren't actually great public places often. True. So do you think that because of that, the hospitality spaces, the local restaurant, whatever it is, from the cheap to the fancy, mm-hmm. do you think those are have an added importance in this city because we don't have those places of convergence it's a good point i think they can and i think that they do on many levels i love that you brought up sort of the like that it could be cheap and it could be there's like a whole range and actually my some of my favorite things i've lived in la now for 22 ish years Hmm. and my favorite things about la have always been those little neighborhood spots and actually i remember you know a decade ago when people were talking about things that that the hospitality place can now be your workplace or like you have meetings there, you meet your friends there, you go on dates there, you bring kids there. But I think that has always been happening in LA. Like you could be at any, like at any, at a taco shop somewhere, somebody's having a meeting or talking about something over food. And I love the idea that it can be, it's business. It's like a place of business. Like your shit, like people talk a lot about, living your life and like people coming together over food Mm -hmm. and i think it has given this city a lot of opportunity to come and talk about a lot of different things over food one of my favorite types of space in la is the area outside of where a food truck is where they typically put out just little plastic stools yeah (laughs) and then it becomes essentially like a mini town square and there's a lot of them obviously in boyle heights and things like that but those areas feel like these public spaces yeah. But all you've done is you've brought a food truck and a bunch of stools. That's it. Yeah. But the food brings people to these areas. And that's a fun part of LA, which isn't, I think, as expressed in other cities potentially. Yeah. 
Going back to the original question, your favorite thing that <laughs> sold that fatty It depends mark. on which time of day I come. I love the Taiwanese breakfast burrito. Ooh, okay. It's a, it's a favorite for sure. We eat more pizza than we should from Taiwan. <laughs> I love the Mapo, especially Mapo tofu version. And I love, actually, I love that you're even the veggie version because it, it has, sometimes it has bok choy on it, doesn't mm -hmm. it? I love the variety of vegetables that are on the veggie mm -hmm. pizza, which is unusual. I also really love the garlic noodles from Starry, the Starry Kitchen guys. Mm -hmm. And I could eat dumplings all day, mm -hmm. every day. Oh, so yeah. I will eat some little fatty dumplings from the freezer for every meal. <laughs> Dave, do you, do you have a favorite thing that you sell? Do I Does have it, a favorite thing? Do you, like a, a favorite thing on the menu at Fatty Mart or, or any of or, or, or Little Fatty? Is, <laughs> well, there, is there one that resonates with you more? or I, I don't know. Um, they're all great, um, but we're always trying to put a new thing on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always on to the next one. Um, right now, the we just put on a pork belly bowl. It's really representative of a traditional uh, Chinese dish. I think our rendition is really awesome. It's preserved cabbage, preserved mustard greens, uh, some rock sugar, soy, and some spices, and some chilies. And it's braised for, uh, pork belly's braised for like uh, two hours so until it's tender. And it's really great with rice. And we serve it with uh, tofu that we lightly fry and then uh, quail eggs that are both stewing with the pork. And so you, it's all about like, uh, all great food is born out of poverty. And, and so it's great to eat with rice. And um, it's really satisfying, uh, really Decadent, but cheap <laughs> I mean, and affordable. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> David, question for you. What advice would you give a budding restauranteur? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. It's really hard right now in this environment, inflation. I mean, I pay $4,000 in trash alone wow. to register my van uh, for renewal is a thousand dollars. So it's crazy. Yeah. Do you think the city should provide additional incentives to restaurants and um, restaurant owners because of the... Well, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they shouldn't tax us so much <laughs> or mm -hmm. charge us so much. Like mm -hmm. the trash was a crazy idea that they did. Uh, they divided the city and gave each company one area so there's no competition. And they... <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen? And then I don't know if you noticed around... It was about like eight years ago. So right, right after we started used to be, you know, trash is like water, it should be like a utility, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it should be relatively affordable so everyone can afford it. But now it's so expensive. If you drive down every alley, there's like a couch or you know, yeah. trash. And it's kind of like in correlation of what happened with the city. It's like they don't dump these extra things and people can't afford to dump stuff. And so now our city is a little bit dirtier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that in the next decade, because I think the city is at this inflection point potentially, that hopefully there'll be some reform in some areas to help out small businesses, but also just general taxpayers in general. Yeah. We'll see. I'm optimistic. Uh, Kathy, what's your advice to someone who wants to start an architecture firm? Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes same thing, but you know, I think really, I was thinking about that. And I think that the biggest thing, number one, my first advice would be don't underestimate working for someone else for a while. Like, I think that there's this huge thing, especially right now, this influx of people wanting to just immediately like finish school and then immediately start your own practice. And I think that there's so much opportunity for creativity and learning on someone else's dime. 
and someone else's, you know, responsibility that shouldn't be underestimated. And I think all of those experiences will only help you like if you, if, and when you do start your own practice. And then once you do start your own practice, I feel like I often say never underestimate who you meet because even while you're working at somebody else's office, it might be someone lower on the, you know, somebody who works for that company at a particular time and you're working together on a project, but they're not in charge, but they may be in charge of something else somewhere down the line. And a lot of those connections, just those meaningful collaborations, they stick and people remember, you know, when it was, if it was really great to work with you, they'll remember it and they will come back. So we've, a lot of the clients that we've gotten over the years, they were, you know, they were just a smaller piece of a different puzzle somewhere else. And we kept in touch and then they, they started something else. And just finding, even in the littlest of project, like there's room for your creativity mm -hmm. and boy, and like don't feel that it needs to be huge out of the gates and staying right. small yeah, <laughs> and being thoughtful about it because overhead can kill creativity. Yep. So. And bureaucracy and bad clients and right. all those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So both of you have hired folks to work for your companies what do you look for when you're hiring somebody i think specifically i look for people who are really have clear and interesting like ideas of their own and they're inspired by something in specific but they also are open to the ideas of others like they're good collaborators and they're willing to like work with other people and mm -hmm. they see something exciting and like some ideas that someone else might bring to the table. Also people who are willing to just kind of jump in mm -hmm. and see that every opportunity is a learning opportunity and there's something to be gained from it and are willing, you know, we have our practice is pretty small right now. We're five people. So the pro is you're going to see like how a business runs and you're going to learn how a business runs more so than working in a giant corporation. Yeah. But you also may have to wear some other hats. Like, so you have to kind of jump in. Everyone's HR, everyone's accounting. Right. Everybody, everybody, you're sort of participating. But it, especially if you intend to open your own practice someday, it's such valuable experience that you can't really obtain in a larger business. Yeah, yeah. So just the willingness to kind of jump, be, in. jump in. Yeah, and be yeah. proactive. Yeah. That's the one thing I, I, I like when people just see something and they do it rather than waiting for permission to fix it. If you see something that needs to be fixed, just do it. I'll, yes. be, I'll be thrilled. Yes. <laughs> so, Same. Yeah. <laughs> and David, you, I mean, you, you, how many people work for the fatty corporation at this point? It's almost a hundred people. Wow. So that's kind of crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> and you obviously, you hire for a different number of different roles. Yep. Do you do all the hiring or does someone else do um, the hiring for you? The chefs and the front of the house managers hire for their departments, but obviously there's managers. So we all interview them and, you know, we all collaboratively decide on you mm -hmm. know, higher upper management decisions. And is there a particular quality you look for in folks or? Uh, people, we look for more, their, their, the skills we can teach and, um, but we're looking more for attitude and yeah, like Kathy said, uh, listening. If they can follow through, um, the bar is kind of actually low. <laughs> if they show up. <laughs> no, but no, um, yeah. So basically no, attitude and, yeah. and, you know, how you carry yourself and, and you know, just the basics of hospitality, if they, mm -hmm. if they can show that. And a good example is Dora. She started as a line cook and now she's not only the, you know, one of the head chefs at uh, Little Fatty, 
but we trained her so that she can help at uh, Fatty Mart too. And so mm. she was helping me right now. And she's helping me develop recipes. And so I really like mentoring and teaching people. Getting back to what you said about starting a business, I, I try to save a little time, two, three hours a week to help other people, um, start, you know, people that are starting out. I always check on them and, you know, just give them advice and, you know, they have questions and stuff like that. So I definitely like giving back, but it's a really hard environment right now. They, they actually yeah. just closed a restaurant. He had three and he closed two. Oh, wow. And now it's just fried chicken. <laughs> it went from fine dining to Korean classic food, fine dining. That, that, that was two of them that he closed. Yeah. Now it's Korean fried chicken. That's, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sign of the times, unfortunately. Is a good client what makes a great project? Well, I don't think it's the only thing that makes a great project, but it's essential. So to a me. great project can survive <laughs> a bad client? I think it can, but I, I do think that a great client is a, an essential piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And that and a great client can, you know, be a variety of different like personality types, I think. It's but it really comes down to that that level of like respect and trust and establishing that sort of very early on so that you can both be really working together towards that common goal and trusting in my client that they are figuring out, you know, certain things on their end and we're helping them and then vice versa. I want to hold back on talking about tikka masala. That's dangerous territory. I noticed you had 108,000 followers on Instagram. It's probably more like 150 at this point. I don't know. But also when I search for you on Google, it comes up as internet personality. That's your title on Google. <laughs> not a chef. Not a chef. Not a chef. Not, wow, not, a, not an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. I, haven't, I haven't Googled myself in a while. So your online presence, though, is fantastic. It's enjoyable. I'm assuming you think that has a big impact on driving demand. Do you see it as a necessary evil or do you something? is it something you really enjoy? In the beginning, it was um, a necessary evil. But now I look forward to it like uh, we were just prepping for tomorrow. We usually try to shoot like a whole bunch of videos, so it's tiring. Um, we shoot every other week. So we try to get at least eight, 12 videos out of it and half of them are recipe videos. But I enjoy it. I think as I get older, and the reason why I built Fatty Mart is like I can cook all this great food. Um, it was really born out of me and my wife. You know, we live in Culver City and we'll be like, oh, let's go get food over here, but oh, I can make it better. Oh, let's go get... Uh, this food, oh, it's not authentic. What is authentic? I don't know. So it's my whole life dream to explore cooking and figure out what is tikka masala, what is mm -hmm. birria. Oh, tikka masala is actually British. It's not even Indian. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so we want to discover what is, you know, we, every time I make a recipe, I try to pay homage to what it is, but also how to make it better, how to make it taste like the taste amplified not taste different there's different techniques and ingredients out there so that's what that's what we're doing at fatty mart and it's really a great experience um discovering it's almost uh like we just went to uh, the thai restaurant and i was like okay i want to do this but this is how i do it and it'll taste even better or this is the authentic version this is this is our version try it out but also i want to maybe share with people to take a chance and like uh, pick up that pan and start cooking and like you can make a mistake, but you can actually discover new things and, you know, to try to try a new dish and not be so scared of like your routine of stuff. And you can apply that to your normal life too. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, maybe you should go on that date. Maybe you should take that job. Maybe you should go on that vacation. Mm -hmm. That's what I do these videos. It's like, hopefully I inspire someone 
to do it. And then Kathy, your website and the message that you send on the website, you say that LA has made us who we are. You've been here for 22 years, uh-huh. you said. So how has it made you who you are? I mean, I think it's LA is to an architect, especially arriving at that time, like in the very early 2000s. Like historically, LA is such an experimental city for architects mm-hmm. and it was a playground. It's becoming a bit less so uh, mm. as things become you know much more expensive to build there's less room i mean i always say i wish that la as it had developed it should be this sort of fantastically weird city mm-hmm. like from the outside and i'm a little disheartened by some of the things that have changed about la which have happened in a lot of cities you know just with the fact that it's becoming an increasingly expensive city to be in and operate in a lot of the beauty we used to call it the ugly beauty of los angeles was really inspiring and you spend so much time in this city because public transportation is not the best when you're in your car sort of traversing the city over a period of 20 years, you find yourself kind of wandering around. You'll, you, I still can find myself on a street I've never been down before. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah, all the time. And then you see just little shops. Like there was an era where we were endlessly inspired by the color schemes of car washes because yes. they really go for it. <laughs> and yes. I appreciate that. And those are some of the things that I do not want to get lost in LA because they're, to me, they're they're kind of like the mom and pop restaurant or like all these pieces that made it like the, when I first came to LA eating for $6 was, you could eat more here than I came from the Bay area. There were so many more varieties of excellent, delicious Mm -hmm. food you could eat on a dime as a student. And it was a really wonderful thing. And I, want to make sure that that somehow has a presence here and it isn't lost and yeah. like all the like commingling of everything but it's really that kind of ability to like some people might look at la when you drive down the street and you see a tudor house and like a spanishy mansion and a modern house that it's really weird but it's also kind of the be yourself like yeah. <laughs> just do your one yeah. of my clients said our neighbors built their version of a dream house next door and just the openness that okay it may not be for me but yeah, that's like a very, we're, very but we're cool way of saying it <laughs> you know yeah. it's like it may not be for me but it's cool like we're okay and i like that mix of it all and that idea of rather than just being ugly i think a lot of people outsiders who haven't spent a lot of time in LA might think it's an ugly city, but I think it has this idea of ugly beauty is that it's just not refined or pristine, but it can be extraordinarily beautiful. If you just look more closely. It's uh, it's got a scrappiness to it. Yeah. I love the scrappiness. Is unique. And I agree. I think there's a, it satisfies my curiosity a lot because there's always a surprise on every single block. There's something for better or for worse mm-hmm. that was not expected. Yeah. Right. And I, it's funny you mentioned the car washes. I always, one of the first things I noticed when I came to LA was a lot of the car washes that were built, I think probably in the 50s, 60s and 70s that are kind of crumbling now. Yeah. But I'm like, man, that'd be a great coffee table book or I don't know, Instagram profile at this point. Who knows? Yeah. Just to document every single one in LA because there is some, some spectacular architecture there. And again, it's it's a little bit like the town 
hall or the town plaza of LA is the car wash because everyone's sitting there waiting for their car to get washed and there's a <laughs> hub of people and there's a hub of activity and it's centered around the automobile, which is of course tied to LA. Yeah. So I have a few more questions for you regarding the Fatty Mart project itself. So David, specifically for you, the idea to open a deli slash grocery store, was this a concept that you had always had from day one? Why didn't you just open up another restaurant? Yeah, that probably would have been easier. Like, I think I touched upon it before. It was really me trying to offer all the great ethnic food of LA under one roof kind of thing. So you can get, um, you can get Latin food, you can get Middle Eastern food, you can get Indian food, you can get Chinese food and great pizza. We're working towards that. I think We've, we're going to launch some more stuff in the coming weeks, uh, slowly build to that dream. But I think it really would make life easier for people to come by, pick up a dish or two dishes, and then maybe for your kids and maybe for tomorrow at work, and then get to experience this great food at your fingertips and very convenient. I think that was the whole idea. Plus pizza mm. and like our, we do have a restaurant back there. And um, there's a whole, you know, rice bowl, noodles and um, sandwiches and pizza. You signed the lease, I believe, in July <laughs> 2020. Yeah. Do you enjoy taking risks? That The world was shut uh, down then. Yeah. So the good thing about this is this was all a learning lesson. There's a CFO, there's a CEO now, and it's not just me making decisions. Like I said, our landlord's really great. They gave us, um, it, was, it was supposed to be $1 rent for the first year, $2 rent for the, $2 a square foot the second year. Hmm. And then we're on a rent roll for 20 years at 3%. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they, they're really nice to us. And, you know, although we did invest a lot of money into their space and make it nice. So it's a great partnership. But we always knew that my landlord operated the market. So I, I knew, you know, she's like 73 now. Okay. And I always wanted to take it over. And so when the chance came up, uh, we decided to go ahead and jump on it. Got it. And then Kathy, how did you approach this space initially, the overall layout? I mean, I think the, the biggest move we made was the porch, mm-hmm. which you brought up earlier. And I've had the good fortune. I live only a couple blocks away okay, and have for 15-ish years now. Mm-hmm. So this market has always been a market. And actually, once we dug into the history of the space, it's been a market since like the 40s. Oh, interesting. Okay. For, so for a really long time. And the idea of it always had this p- feeling of potential because, but you never really knew what you were going to get when you were there. And it was very different than it is now in that there were screens in that original facade, like where all the windows are. So we we pop, we kept the facade of the building and popped out all the glass and the screens, which were sort of cutting it off from the street. <laughs> but that being said, it's like the idea of opening it up really allowed us to create that engagement with the street, which was really lacking along the street front of Venice Boulevard, which in, after the Mar Vista has also gone through the Great Street Project, that mm-hmm. section of Venice Boulevard, they've been working for years. Mm-hmm. They added more pedestrian crossings and more landscaping in the median to try to make it feel that, you know, you have actually, you can slow down and arrive and there are more events that are happening there. But the actual relationship between the buildings and the sidewalk hadn't really changed much. And in LA, I think one of the challenges has been for years that Landlords didn't value 
outdoor square footage, like they felt they probably felt that they couldn't or they probably couldn't charge mm -hmm. people the same amount as for renting like covered outdoor space as yep. they could for interior space. So they just locked everything in. Yep. And I think the beauty on the upside of everything that happened with COVID is like having an outdoor space that's fully operational, like all year round became more valuable. And, you know, the idea of pushing that storefront back and creating that active buffer was the biggest design move. And it was like the first idea. And it always has been like the biggest and most important idea, I think. Yeah, it really works. I mean, it, I think a lot of landlords are hesitant to provide covered outdoor space because of security issues. Mm -hmm. Did the overall business concept evolve at all during the design phase or was it always, was it, has it been pretty consistent? <laughs> No, it's it's changed. Didn't it change? Oh yeah. Yeah. At first we were sure. gonna be like an Italian I knew I always wanted to do pizza, so I was like, oh let's just make an Italian deli. It was not, you know, only besides Bay Cities and Sorrentos. And then it slowly evolved to Fatty Mart, I guess. Yeah, being true to who I am, I guess. Oh, okay. And then the duration of the design phase, how long was that <laughs> from like the first conversation you had to doors opening? Two and a half years. And that years. it was long because of the time that it right. took place. And there were complications with COVID, clearly. Like during, we started designing like during the heat of COVID, but then there were other. I think in six months you submitted questions. to the city. Yeah. And then in nine months we had permits, but then I had trouble with the SBA, but eventually we got our SBA loan approved. So it took like a year to get an SBA loan. Okay. <laughs> Just a year. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, again, so you're speaking to the barriers of entry in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. The city is not helping themselves on that one. The biggest challenge in designing the space, was there anything that you came up against that surprised you? There weren't a lot of huge surprises. I mean, it's an older building, but actually for an older building, it had didn't have as many, there can be crazy surprises that you find with older buildings once you start digging into them, but we didn't really dig, have to dig that deep. I think the biggest challenge is an, and is still is the evolution of the business itself and trying to, as an architect, trying to design for flexibility, mm. but then you're still trying to support like certain needs that can't be that flexible right. is always a challenge. So understanding that trying to think about the flow of people in a variety of different ways that they could, things that could move and things that maybe have to be more permanent because mm -hmm. of infrastructure and like, you know, moving plumbing and moving electrical is much more challenging than moving shelves or fixtures. Huh. So trying to keep that in mind, like as we designed it, that was, that's challenging, especially as something is evolving. It's, it's not specific only to this project. Like that happens a lot, especially when, people's businesses are growing or they're kind of developing an idea while you're developing the design, right. it's inevitable that there are yeah, going to be those you challenges. you hit against a piece of kitchen equipment that has a 12-month lead time and suddenly right. that, that dictates then when you're opening. So sure. yeah. that kind of thing happens a lot. Yeah. So you're both very embedded in the Mar Vista community and know this area very well, particularly that intersection, Valero, there's a post office there. Mm -hmm. What do you hope this area becomes and Kathy will start with you what do you hope like what's in your wildest dreams Mar Vista and that intersection in particular what is it in 10 years I really hope that this that stretch of several blocks becomes more vibrant in like 
I hope that it can pull the people out of the residential neighborhoods more than it does. I think it's already starting to do so a little bit more, but in other neighborhoods I've lived across LA, like there are certain little sections of town that really are successful at pulling families in particular. There are a lot of families in Mar Vista mm -hmm. and people with little kids and like trying to find places to go eat and for people to actually like walk down the hill mm -hmm. and come to that section, that would be really exciting for me, I think, getting people out of their cars and spending more time in the neighborhood. And a mix of like, I love that the School of Rock is still here. So mm. there's like, I actually often, I will meet a friend whose daughter takes lessons, which I'm very envious of at the School of Rock. <laughs> uh, and we'll meet up at Fatty Mart, you know, afterwards or like while she's waiting, while they're playing a musical instrument, we'll right. have, grab a coffee at Fatty Mart or something. And so I think that more places like that, that are sort of opening up onto the street mm. would actually add that vibrancy that this little strip of city needs. You agree, David? Yeah, I think in 10 years, there's gonna be more services and more restaurants, more bars, more cafes. This is a great neighborhood. There's a lot of uh, houses, both houses and apartments. It's a yeah. big mix. There's a big demographic, uh, yeah, especially people with kids or, you know, but there's a lot of people without kids. And so we're just, um, I, think, um, I think a lot more growth, a lot more businesses will be coming in. Last two questions. What continues to inspire you about working in Los Angeles? Yeah, so I think LA has the greatest concentration of great ethnic food. And so that's really inspiring. And like you know, I described what that project downtown is gonna be called. I think it's gonna be called Juntos, which means together. Hmm. So really, you know, every time I go, people always ask, where do you go eat? I like, I don't eat at restaurants. I go to like all the ethnic food places that are restaurants, I mean, but I, I don't go to like the newest, hippest place. I, right. I just, I love eating authentic, quote unquote, authentic, trying to find the, you know, dishes that I've never eaten or mm -hmm. like, hey, this place has the best uh, tum yum soup. Let's go try it. So that always excites me. And then that, that gets me cooking in the kitchen, you know, making my version of that. And mm. so it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty much endless. Kathy, yeah, absolutely, absolutely agreed on all those points. I think as an architect and designer, I love that this city has always been a creative city at its heart. There's such a huge percentage of like creative people. And when I say that, it's it's across a variety, like from, you know, people working in the food industry to people working, you know, whether they're working in movies or TV or art or whatever it is, I feel like there's something about Los Angeles that draws the creative people in any of their sectors or whatever their specialties might be. So I love that there's endless surprises of you will can meet a variety of people who are always approaching something from a creative way, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. And I think because this city is sort of born of experimentation in many ways, people are always tr really trying to push and stretch like new things, like just keep repeating the same thing over and over kind of isn't in the DNA of the city. Yeah. And that's part of its appeal. And I love that because it's like we're all evolving together for better, for worse in different ways. And that creativity is always inspiring to me. Okay. Last question. This is for all the explorers in LA. What are your three favorite buildings or places in Los Angeles? Uh, Either one of you can stop. <laughs> one of the things I love most about LA is it's a city surrounded by nature. 
So a lot of my favorite things in LA are the things that I'm not doing enough, <laughs> which is like, I even love like going up to like Kenneth Han is kind of in the middle yeah. of the city, Great but park. it has a, it's a beautiful park. It's like, has this interesting perspective and the view of the city is nice. different. And I, I just, I love it up there. I love the Eastern building downtown, which is an old deco building. The blue one. Right? The blue one, yeah. which is just so beautiful, especially in the sunset. I also love the beach, which is very stereotypical, but <laughs> I do. I love I love the smell of the ocean and the oh, ability yeah. to like be in a city in close proximity to the ocean where you can just kind of walk, soak in some of the smells in particular, and then kind of go on with your day. So I'll think on more on the buildings, but the Eastern always comes to mind because it's just it is endlessly beautiful. Yeah, especially yeah. at sunset. Yeah. All right, David. It was a Hawaii supermarket, and it has uh, a wide range of Asian products. Um, it has, I, I got in trouble because it had live turtles, so you could take them home and eat them. It has fish tanks, it has a butcher shop, it has uh, home appliances, it has uh, chairs, it has, it's like an Asian Walmart supermarket. So it's really, really great. I love shopping there. I spend a lot of time there. I learned a lot about sauces. I, I pretty much bought every sauce that's in the sauce aisle and every ingredient there just to see what it tastes like. And, you know, that was my uh, education. It's a great place to, to order, you know, get fresh fish and uh, fresh meat, stuff like that, and pick up a rice cooker. What else do I like? And I two, two more. <laughs> so two more, let's think. Uh, Grand Central Market. Ooh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, my favorite stall is the carnitas stall because... Uh, he gives you enough meat on a taco or on a tortilla that I, I usually separate the two tortillas and I make two tacos out of it. Yeah, I've, um, I've been there. But also, you know, like you can get pastrami, you can get Thai food, you can get now barbecue and all great stuff. Yeah. And lastly, Central Park. It's, uh, it's nearby my house and I have two kids. So during COVID, we would walk around there. There's actually a good mix of like the soccer field. You can barbecue over there. There's basketball courts. Uh, I think Clippers sponsored it. Um, so it's like a nice basketball court, but most importantly, there's a lot of open green space. I think there's like a mini, what do they call it? Pantheon or what, what is it called? There's a, there's a band shell there that, um, you know, where it's like, uh, that Mike, Michael Maltzen's office yeah, design. And yeah. then there's sort of, there's a berm that you can yeah, sit so it's on, sort of like, a grassy huh? berm. Yeah. I don't um, know if I know this So place. they have concerts there. Sometimes they watch movies there. Okay. My kids love feeding the fish and turtles. There's like three, four five big ponds. That they, they, they maintain there's fish, yeah. there's a big okay. koi in it. Uh, you see a lot of bugs because we actually call it in Japanese the Kani Park. Kani means like crab, but there's little crawfish. And so my kids were used to go there and try to find the crawfish. So it's like <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of nature in That's one little great. space. That's like yeah. right next door in a big urban environment. I think the best part about that I love about that park is there's orange chain link around the basketball. Uh -huh. And at sunset, it turns the most epic color. It's oh. like the orange and the purples kind of go together and there's a wat there's a pond there that yep. has a tree in the middle mm -hmm. and it all reflects this tree. It's really lovely. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so it's great space. Yeah. All right. David, Kathy, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having thanks us on so the much. podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to Building LA on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. As a bonus, if you have a couple of minutes, please consider rating the podcast and writing us a brief review. 
we'd really appreciate it. And of course, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email me at sam at buildinglapodcast.com. Hope you tune in again soon.